Good, good morning, Lake Hills Church. Welcome to week, what is this, week four? Is this week four? Wow. Anyway, I was speaking to this huge audience here in the room. I'm just kidding. There are only three people here in the room besides myself, all practicing appropriate social distancing. But I'm still, I'm just being honest with you, I'm still kind of like, what in the world is going on? But we're going to push through together. And I am so grateful that we can connect online with all of the tools that are available to us in this day and age. I want to invite you to open your Bibles right off the bat to Luke chapter number 22. Luke 22, as you're looking that up, whether it's on your phone or in an actual book, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. And I want to give you just a little bit of background about the different translations that are out there. The New Living Translation, in my opinion, is the most linguistically accurate and readable. I think it it flows the best while maintaining the most integrity to the original scriptural languages. Now, the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, are hyper-accurate to those original renderings of the Old Testament and the New Testament, But because they maintain such rigorous linguistic accuracy, they don't always, they're not always as easily readable in those forms. They're great, but they're just not quite as readable. Other translations, maybe you grew up on the King James Version. That was the version that came out in the 1600s. And it has all the these and thous and thines and thus and blah, 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 and all that. Very accurate, but 400. 500 years later, it's a little bit tougher to get our arms around. It's a great, great version, though. But we're going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, Luke chapter 22. I'm going to start in verse 39 and go from there. Let's read together. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Let's pray together as we take up this moment in the life of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in this moment, we thank you for the gift of your word. Father, for the fact that we can rely on it, that it is true, that it is accurate, that it is literally the bread of life. I pray, Father, that in this time that we have together online, that you would speak through me. God, that you would speak in spite of me and move your purposes forward in us as a church family, but also, God, in us individually, personally. Help us to take what you want us to have out of this time We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Now, this moment that I just read to you 
is a critical, critical moment in Jesus's life. He's already proceeded through what has come to be known as Holy Week. He's made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, people shouting his name, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise him in the highest. But now, now he's come to the moment for which he has come. Now he has come to the moment where he will be betrayed, handed over, arrested, tried, convicted, and executed. He knows that his moment is at hand. He, he knows that this is a crisis moment. Now, I don't know kind of what's going on in your households during this whole coronavirus thing that we're all going through. But in our household, we have had some moments. I, I, will, I have to tell you before I tell you the story I'm about to share with you, it's been really, really great Julie and I have been hunkered down. Our daughter Emily is staying with us because her roommate that she normally lives with is a full-time nurse. And so she's in the hospital all the time and Emily decided to hunker down at home with Julie and me. But we've continued working. We, we keep trying to move the purposes of the church forward and helping people, serving people, leading people. And we've all kind of been going in different directions under the same roof. We all have different Zoom meetings, Skype meetings, FaceTime, blah, blah, blah. Well, one day this week, my daughter Emily was kind of walking fast through the house, and, and I noticed that she was making for herself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And for whatever reason, she left the room and went back to her room for a second. I thought, this will be hilarious. I'm going to hide her sandwich. And so I took it, and I put it up in the cabinet where the plates are, went back to the living room where I was eating lunch and just kind of sat down. Well, it was about 30 or 45 seconds later, I heard Emily walk through the living room, back into the kitchen, and I heard her go, Where, where's my sandwich? Mom, did you put, she goes, Dad, did you eat my sandwich? I said, no. I wasn't lying. I didn't eat her sandwich. She goes, okay, this is, this is not funny. I have three minutes before my next meeting. I need my sandwich. And I just sat there. I didn't do anything. I was like, this is going to be so funny. Well, it quickly became apparent that it was not going to get to the funny part. Emily had a very, I didn't realize, Emily had a very small window within which she could eat before her next meeting. And then she had a meeting after that. And it was just kind of stacking up on her at this point. And the fact that she couldn't find the sandwich actually created kind of a crisis in our home at the moment. And I realized as I sat there eating my sandwich, I may have misplayed this one. And so I waited a little bit, about an hour, hour and a half later. I went and gave her the sandwich, obviously. I showed her where it was. About an hour and a half later, I came in and I said, hey, uh, M, dad made a mistake. I apologize for the great sandwich caper of 2020. That was, that was a mistake and I shouldn't have done it in the moment and I apologize. She goes, listen, dad, I'm sorry that I kind of lost it in the moment, but it was just kind of one of those times. I said, I get it. But it was a great crisis moment in our household where I learned that there were some very, very important boundaries to respect. That it probably is not always gonna be funny to be pulling pranks when we're quarantined for an indefinite amount of time. But it was this moment where we kind of, we kind of got to a, 
to a crossroads as a family, which I think a lot of people are doing right now under this lockdown that we're all experiencing. And out of that crossroads, out of that crisis, if you will, we came to a very real understanding that actually I think is going to help us as we move forward through this. I want to suggest to you that crisis is not a bad thing. Crisis actually comes from an, an old Greek medical term. And, and to explain this, let, let, me, let me just read to you how the Greeks defined a crisis in terms of medicine. It is the point in the course of a serious disease at which a decisive change occurs, leading either to recovery or not. Now, obviously the or not is bad, but a crisis is, is just that. It's, it's a crossroads. It's, a, it's the point in the course of a serious disease at which a decisive change occurs, a decisive change. You see, in our household this week, we reached a moment of decisive change. We, we reached a decisive point, a point where I decided that I would change and not hide Emily's food ever again, at least until COVID-19 is over. But that term that the Greeks used medically has come into our usage, into our world, to define a lot of things beyond the realm of medicine. Here's how the dictionary defines crisis. Crisis. It is a stage in a sequence of events at which the trend of all future events, especially for better or for worse, is determined. A turning point. That makes a crisis an opportunity. That makes a crisis an opportunity. And here's the thing that I think we see in Jesus's life that is so important for us to pull out. As we, as we continue this series that we started last weekend, Reasons to Hope, it's this, it's this idea that crisis always creates opportunities to clarify priorities. Crisis always creates opportunities to clarify priorities. Go to Jesus's moment there in the Garden of Gethsemane, there on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city of Jerusalem below him. As he, as he prays, as the disciples sleep, but it's, it's this moment that is the defining crisis moment in the life and earthly ministry of Jesus. As he prays and he says, Father, if there is any way for this cup of suffering to pass, let it pass. He, he knows what he is about to go through on the cross. He knows that this defining moment of his life has arrived and he says, God, if there's any way, any way around this pain, around this suffering, around this separation from you, please, please let's do that. But I, I think it's not just that prayer. It's, it's the prayer that follows. It's, it's the prayer that follows when Jesus says these words. He says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
your will be done, not mine. What an incredible prayer and moment. It it reminds me of Jesus's model prayer that he prayed during the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when the disciples asked him, Lord, how should we pray? He began and he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are God, we are not. But remember what he said. He said, your will be done. Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a moment. And it's one thing when you're teaching academically, when you're teaching philosophically and and theoretically. But man, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane living it out practically. He knew what awaited him on the cross. And the Bible says that he was so distressed of spirit. He was so conflicted in this crisis moment that he sweat drops of blood. Now we know with the benefit of medical research over the last 2,000 years that that is an actual physiological response to great stress. The medical community calls this hematohydrosis. Hematohydrosis. Here's how they define that. It is says, they say that it is a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood occurring under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. That's what Jesus was going through there in the garden. This was his crisis moment. He was so anguished that his body began to respond physiologically. But even in that distress, even in that that anxious moment, in that crisis moment, Jesus said, not my will, your will be done. And it's there that you see Jesus using this crisis to clarify his priorities. It's there that you see him deciding once and for all, I will do the will of God. The the reason for which he commissioned him to leave his rightful place in heaven and come to earth. The reason that next weekend we will celebrate Easter. We'll celebrate online, but we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But before you can get to the resurrection, you have to go through the crucifixion. And Jesus is in this moment, this crisis moment. And I think there's something for all of us to learn from Jesus' crisis moment. I think because a lot of times in my life, I don't know about you, but I try to avoid crises. I don't like drama. I don't like crisis. I stay away from it. But we see here Jesus leaning into the crisis. We see here Jesus actually embracing it in order to clarify his priorities. And I think there's an amazing, amazing lesson here for us. Number one, 
when you face a crisis, when I come to a crisis moment, the first thing that we have to do is identify the available choices. Identify the available choices. That's what Jesus was doing. He had the choice to walk away from the cross. He had the choice to decide, "Uh uh-uh, ain't gonna do it. He knew he could fulfill the Father's will or he could rebel against the Father's will. And he's, he's identifying the available choices. He, he knows he can walk away from it, but he says, if there's any way, let this cup of suffering pass. That's one of the choices that was available to him. So identify the available choices. Number two, simplify the possible consequences. Simplify the possible consequences. In Jesus's case, his crisis moment had two consequences. If he followed God's will, the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of humanity and those who would follow him was one way. If he rebelled against the Father's will, if he chose to walk away from the cross, then the consequences of that choice were that God's purposes, God's vehicle for grace and forgiveness and fulfillment would be completely derailed. It was very, very simple. Not easy, but very, very simple. And so Jesus had a choice to make. Walk toward the cross, walk away from the cross. Very different consequences for either choice. But those were his choices. Those were the consequences available to him. But then number three, and this is, this is where <clears throat> I think this is the crisis of the crisis, if you will. You clarify your personal priorities. You clarify your personal priorities. Just going back to that silly illustration that I used earlier when I told you about hiding Emily's sandwich, I decided in realizing the consequences of that choice that it wasn't worth upsetting her, upsetting the balance in our entire household just to have a little bit of a laugh at her expense. And so my priority was going to be peace in the home. And if that meant that I couldn't hide her sandwiches anymore, so be it. But I clarified the priority there in that moment. Now that pales in comparison to the crisis that maybe you're in the middle of. Certainly it pales in comparison to the crisis Jesus was in the middle of. But when you're at that point of decision, you clarify your priorities. Here, bottom line, you do this. You do the next right thing and let the chips fall where they may. Based on priorities. Not my will, but your will be done. This is what Jesus chose. He chose the will of the Father over his own comfort. Not my will, but your will be done. I thought about Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 
is an incredible summation of a great history lesson that happens in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of the, the spiritual faith hall of fame. It, it lists so many pillars of our faith and their faithfulness throughout their lives. But then in Rome, in, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, this is what the Bible says, starting with verse one. It says, now therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, all of these folks that are in the hall of fame we've just gone through, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So you have a race. I have a race to run. God has laid out for us. He's invited us into this relationship with him. This is our faith. This is the reason for our hope. And we run that race by following Jesus. Let us fix our eyes. Let us stay focused on him. Let's strip off all the stuff that doesn't matter. I think that's one of the incredible opportunities that is in this obstacle called COVID-19. We, we, we get to kind of strip away the stuff that doesn't matter, the stuff that we stay so distracted by and, and just come back to the things that really matter most, starting with Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. He didn't want to. He had a crisis, a crisis of a crisis. But at that turning point, at that decision point, he clarified his priorities and he said, not my will, but your will be done. It's interesting, if you go back to Luke 22 for just a quick second, that he, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, there on the Mount of Olives. He went with the disciples and, and he told them to pray so that they would not fall into temptation. It's interesting that on two different occasions he came back to them and they were sleeping. I don't think that was the temptation he was talking about. Because after he was betrayed and arrested and while he was being tried, the disciples scattered. I think about Peter especially. Peter who was confronted there in the courtyard of the high priest's home where Jesus was being tried and said, hey, you, you, were, with, you were with the Nazarene, weren't you? He said, no, I don't know who he is. Not once, not twice, but three times. Three times Peter denied. He betrayed Jesus. 
You know, when, when we come to a crisis point, we can choose the way of Jesus or we can choose the way of Peter. Now, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Peter's betrayal, his denial of even knowing Jesus was redeemed. It was Peter upon whom Jesus said, I will build my church. He used to be known as Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter. The name Peter comes from an old Greek word that is actually Petros. Petros, which means the rock. Isn't that amazing? Jesus named Peter the rock, knowing that he had betrayed him. He said, I will use your betrayal. I will use your passion. I will use every bit of who you are. And upon you, I will build the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's amazing the clarity that can come through a crisis. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in terms of COVID-19 and maybe, maybe really, really anxious. Maybe just kind of a little bit nervous, like where's this going? What's going to happen? Maybe, maybe you're dealing with some real financial stress and anxiety. For all of us, this is a crisis moment. It's a crisis moment to clarify our priorities. If you've never stepped into a relationship with God, maybe you've heard about God or you've thought, well, man, I may as well watch something online about church because I'm not going anywhere today. As a church family, we want to invite you to make a decision to follow Jesus, to choose to walk in his wake. Like, like Hebrews chapter 12 said, to fix your eyes on Jesus. You don't have to pass a test. You obviously don't have to go to church. Now, when we have the opportunity, we think it helps. But it requires a willing heart. It requires a definitive decision to follow Jesus, to confess him, to acknowledge him as who he said he was, the son of God and the savior of the world. And if you choose to follow him and choose to believe that, then you are forgiven. Every sin that you've ever committed is not only forgiven, but kind of like Peter. It's redeemed. It's used for his purposes going forward. I want to ask you wherever you are right now, if you will just bow your heads with me. I want to invite you to pray. And if you're already someone who is following Jesus, then I want to invite you to pray for anyone who is watching who is not. And if you're a part of this service online and you have not chosen to follow Jesus, we want to invite you to do that right now. Just to pray right where you're sitting or standing or walking or however you're taking this message in. Just pray. Communicate from your heart to God in your own words, something like this. Just, just pray and say, Jesus, I need you. 
I know that I need forgiveness of my sin. And I choose to believe that you offer that. That through your crucifixion and resurrection, you promise a new life for me. And in this moment, I accept. I will follow you and walk with you. Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this crisis, this turning point in my life. I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. Hey, if that was your prayer and you meant it with everything that you've got, this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with what comes next because this is just the beginning for you. However you're watching this service, however you're participating in this service, there is a thing called a connect card for you. It's an opportunity for you to fill out the connect card and indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week. And when you submit that back to us, what that does is it just initiates a conversation, a conversation that helps us help you with what comes next. Because this is the greatest thing you will ever do. This is our privilege, our responsibility as a church is to help with what's next. We are so grateful to have the opportunity to worship with you in this way, in this season. And we can't wait to get back in the same room with you. Please know that as we head into a new week, Julie and I love you. We are praying for you. We are praying with you. May God bless you. Have a great week.